Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, you lucky human. We're going to talk in roundtable format about cloud networking certifications. Aren't we, Ned? That was the topic for today. Uh, we certainly are, and we got a lot more mileage out of it than I thought we would. And, you know, three podcasters on a mic, who would have guessed it? But we really dig into not just what the cloud certifications are, but also what's the utility behind getting any of them. Our guest today is Michael Levan. He's a known Kubernetes expert in the space. Uh, he's a teacher, uh, instructor, and consultant. And he joins Ned and I as the three of us go back and forth about cloud networking certs. Please enjoy our conversation. Michael Levan is joining us today for this discussion about cloud networking certifications. And Michael, I know a lot of people know you because we just saw from that that list that was published here recently, you're very, very popular and a big influencer in the cloud space. But for those people who somehow don't know who you are, would you tell all the nice people who you are and what you do? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully I can live, live up to those expectations. <laughs> so my name is Michael Levan and uh, I do everything and anything in the Kubernetes space. So consulting, working in production level environments, live training, courses, blogging, public speaking, books, all that good stuff. I also have uh, a podcast called Kubernetes Unpacked on the best podcast network in the universe, Packet Pushers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, if you weren't aware of Michael's podcast, Kubernetes Unpacked is indeed on the Packet Pushers podcast network. And it's been growing rapidly with uh, now you're up to, I forget how many thousands of subscribers, Michael, but it is it is growing, growing rapidly and doing very well. So uh, our topic today, gentlemen, we're, this is going to be more of a roundtable format. We're just going to chat about cloud networking certifications. I thought I'd open up the discussion among the three of us with... Um, what sort of professional does a certification like this make sense for? If I, who, who am I and I, I'm taking a cloud networking certification? Yeah, I feel like one potential approach is someone who's already in the cloud to a certain degree. They've achieved the associate level certification for AWS or uh, for Azure. And now they're looking to branch out into more specialized roles or more complicated network setups that they weren't trying to support before, or something has come down from one high, hey, we need to integrate this new network thing into our cloud. All right, I better study up on that. Oh, there's a specialty certification for the, my cloud of choice. Well, why don't I pursue that to get bulked up on my network knowledge? But the thing about that is all of the certificate, not all the certifications, but a lot of the ones that we're going to talk about are really about how this cloud does it as opposed to networking fundamentals. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Well, you, you see it as, so you said someone who's in cloud already, like someone who's a like cloud practitioner, maybe they've been building more on the infrastructure side of things, working with IaaS and doing that kind of stuff. And now they need to bulk up their their skills in that networking specialty and add that skill set to their, to their tool belt. Yeah, I mean, that's one possible path, but I think another path, and maybe you want to expound on this a little bit is, I'm a network engineer working on-prem, and now I'm being tasked with managing some stuff in the cloud. Well, yeah, that's how I think about it. Of course, that's my perspective coming from all the years where I've been doing network engineering. And the cloud network approach is a, is, is a different beast. There's different constructs. There's different constraints in how you build out those networks and different ways to think about how packets are flowing around through that environment. Um, and... To go from on-prem architecture and design where you're very comfortable with switches and routers and firewalls, you kind of know how it all flows, you're building out routing tables, 
And thinking about it from a cloud perspective, where it's all been virtualized, and yeah, it's still packets and it's still IP addressing, but um, but it's a, a bit of a different beast. Plus, the way you configure things is different, or or can be different, you know, as different as you want. Whether you're, especially if you're going to the infrastructure as code model, and maybe you haven't done that before in on-prem, you haven't had a reason to. Uh, these cloud networking certs help you bridge that gap because there is a gap between how you do it on-prem and how you do it in cloud. Yeah, I think I see it in three different lights in terms of, you know, what professional is this going to make that type of thing? Number one, I see somebody that is just trying to get into it. So maybe they're a sysadmin on-prem or maybe they're just starting their tech career and they're trying to you know, get into the field that they want to get into. At that point, maybe they're going to look at a couple of certifications. The second one is purely from a learning perspective. So, you know, maybe you're an Azure and you want to learn AWS, or maybe you have a job transition going from Azure to AWS, vice versa, whatever. You want to just get up to speed with kind of what's happening. And again, you know, uh, to your point, how that cloud does the thing. Uh, and then the third is, you know, depending on where you work, sometimes certifications are mandatory. So if you're working at like a consultancy, for example, they may need X amount of people certified with this certification to keep some type of status. I mean, the whole reason I have my AWS SA Pro, or at least the first time I got it, was specifically because the consulting group I was with wanted to do well-architected framework reviews. And at the time, to be part of that program, you needed to have X number of SA Pro certified people on staff. So I I might have gotten it anyway, but there was a big push. Like anybody yeah. who thinks they're ready, go sit that exam as quickly as they can. And I could see, yeah, for a networking, for a consulting group that uh, specializes in more networking type engagements, having that specialty cert is a point of differentiation between your consulting group and other consulting groups out there. You know, all of our engineers are all network specialty certified. If it, you know, you can advertise that. Right. Yeah, it's good for uh, it's it's a good check mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and as you say about the status thing, back when I was doing VAR work, it's been a while, but uh, but yeah, to maintain our relationship with a partner, we had to have a certain number of certified people on on uh, staff, and so I'd be working with the engineering team. Going, okay, guys, who's going to step up and get you know whatever X certification is because it. I don't know if it matters in you know mathematically the same way it did. It impacted our profit margin for products to have those certified people on staff. Mm -hmm. The more people we did, the bigger, the better the status was we get, and we get more discount from the vendor and the resale. You're both nodding your heads. So even though I've been out of the VAR game for a while, it sounds like it's still the same. It hasn't changed. Yeah. <laughs> you get like the gold package if you have like five people certified in this, and then, or the silver package if you have three. It's, I forget the exact numbers, but it looks something like that. And you might even get preferred deal registration too. And that's mm -hmm, a big deal. Mm -hmm. so yes. Oh, bars. gosh. Uh, yeah. See, I'm just bringing you back. I don't want to make are. this all about VARS podcast because that's a whole <laughs> other episode. But yeah, yeah, there's a whole deal registration thing where whoever registers the deal is the one who actually gets to sell it to the customer, regardless of who they want to work with. Sometime. Oh, man, you are bringing back memories because there was there was a time where it's like we were this particular vendor's like go to partner for projects. And all of a sudden the deal started drying up and I, I started digging around to figure out what was going on. Why aren't they calling us? And uh, there was another VAR that had started up and had, uh, you know, the young and more certified than us you know, group. And they started winning a lot of the deals. That's what, the way it happens. Mm. And business started shifting away. It's like, dang it. 
Well, okay. Let's talk about career path. Let's talk about career path. If sure. I want to be a cloud networking specialist, is that a job? Is that like all I do is cloud networking stuff, and uh, and there's enough there to keep me occupied and get paid? I haven't personally seen a specific role like that. Uh, I'm sure they do exist in either large organizations or perhaps they aren't on paper, but that person, you know, that person's the cloud networking person, you know, or maybe their title is a cloud engineer or whatever, but they're the cloud networking person. But I haven't exactly seen, you know, that specialty in, in, in that fashion. I would say it depends on the size of the organization you're working with, because the larger the org, usually the more specialized roles that exist. So, you know, in a small, it, <laughs> for a good chunk of my career, I was working at a 250 person company and there were three IT people and we did everything, including yeah. handling the vending machines, you know? So <laughs> my title was network administrator, but that was just because they needed to give me a new title every couple of years, right? <laughs> <laughs> but in a large enough organization where you do have like a cloud center of excellence or you just have this is our Azure team. You might have one or two people on that Azure team that are dedicated to building uh, network templates and best practices and stuff that's going to be adopted by the rest of the organization. So that person, or if that position is being developed, getting the certification might be the way that you move into that team under that role. Yeah, being specialized on a team, right? It doesn't mean that's exclusively all you do, uh, but it, you're the go-to person for that that thing. Uh, a friend of mine that runs a fairly sizable team at a at a VAR was telling me that there are a couple of people on his team. They they're they're all cloud. All the stuff they build is is cloud pipelines. Everything's been virtualized, etc. He has a couple of experts on that team for networking stuff, but that's not all they do. They're expected to know a bunch of other things as well, or they couldn't really integrate all that well with uh, with what's going on in the rest of the uh, in the rest of the project. They couldn't manage themselves very well if all they knew was like you know IP addressing and BGP and setting up late, uh, gateway load balancers and you know whatever it was. So there is room for the specialty, you know that. Um, you know, that I get what we call the T-shaped engineer, right? You're broad in a lot of areas and deep in, you know, at least one, maybe two areas. Uh, that's a good fit. And I think that maps well from the silos we've had in, in organizations for a long time, where there are people that are network engineers. Okay, you're adding cloud networking to your network engineering skill set. It's not going to be the only thing you do very probably, unless you're working in a very large organization, as you were saying, Ned, um, with, you know, very, you, you know, a, a lot of need to be building out cloud networking architectures. And uh, and then, sure, you can specialize. Otherwise, I think you're going to need other stuff, which really kind of leads us to, to another question. If all I do is focus on cloud networking, I don't get any other cloud search, because you can. We were looking at cloud search from the big three, and there's no prerequisites. You can rock up and take that exam, all that specialty exam for cloud networking if you want. W what are the holes that are going to be in my knowledge if I take that approach? Well, so I put together a Pluralsight course for the AWS networking specialty exam. So I, I can speak to that. There's a presumption that you have the equivalent level of knowledge that someone who's passed the, uh, the SA associate or the SysOps ad admin associate exam, that you have that level of knowledge about what exists in AWS already. And then you're layering on top of that, the networking knowledge. And I don't think that's any different than uh, a network certification or really not a certification, but that's not any different than any other 
networking position that you might find yourself in. Network administrators need to understand stuff that exists outside of the network, you know, if they want to be effective. And Ethan, you've talked about this before, how talking to application people and Windows people and uh, and whatnot lets you understand how the network's being used and that informs how you design and secure it. Yeah, I, I would say I, I haven't personally seen that specific style of specialty because, you know, like I, I've never seen anybody, you know, when they bring up their AWS console, they just have VPC pinned and that's it. <laughs> you know? like, like there's always like something else going on. And, and I think that kind of brings us to what the specialty is in today's world, because 20 years ago, you could be the exchange person, you could be the active directory person. And then you had your sysadmins that did a little bit of everything. Now it's almost like if we if we think about it now versus then, the sysadmin before is like now what the specialty looks like in our world. So yeah, you, maybe you were uh, a specialty in you know uh, AWS networking or Azure networking or cloud networking in general, but you still understand the database pieces and the the VMs and the instance pieces and how they kind of all tie together. Yeah, it's my career. I started out in uh, on the system side of things. I was building Novell Netware servers and Windows NT servers. Then it was Windows 2000 and so on. And my networking knowledge came in the early days from that. So I was building file and print and mailbox uh, or mail ser- mailboxes, mail <laughs> mail <laughs> servers, <laughs> and all of that. And then the network went along, you know, part and parcel with it. I didn't know too too much about the network itself, like switches and routers, in the early days, but the systems I built, I had to have a certain amount of networking knowledge to stand those systems up. Had to understand addressing and uh, had to understand segmentation pretty well and know a little bit about uh, you know Ethernet and what was going on there and you know, related things. It was when I got into networking that I found it, oh, there's this, you, how, how deep does it go? Wow, it goes really deep. I had no idea. I was just plugging things in, putting an address on. Then they talked, woo. And then, uh, then you go get, can get really deep into it if you want. And it looks like as, as I was parsing through all these cloud networking certs and their course blueprints and the learning tracks, it's the same kind of thing. There's a basic level that you've got to know as a systems administrator that you, you, is just required to be able to function in a cloud environment. And it, you go into the specialties, the, the these more advanced certifications, there's an expectation that you already know all of that stuff and you know something about cloud and cloud infrastructure broadly already. You know a bit about the AWS world if, if we're there, what the products are, how they all fit together, some of the basic architecture. And now you wanna go deeper down the well and uh, and start to learn some of the more advanced architectures and fancy things that you can do, and uh, and maybe maybe get into security more specifically if you want, uh, which which is another good question. Uh, cloud networking and cloud security are those topics that that overlap, and if so, how do they? How do you think they intersect? I can't see how they don't. <laughs> it's part of it. Uh, your network is such a big part of how you approach security within the cloud, and you tend to have a lot more options when it comes to how you want to approach that security because you're not just dealing with perimeter security. It's not just putting a big honk and firewall in front of your VPC and calling it good, right? Within each VPC, and I'm using AWS as the example, but you can do this in all the clouds, so it doesn't matter. Within the VPC, you have this concept of security groups. So you can control the flow of traffic between two different security groups within your VPC. 
you have the idea of being able to set up specific routing. So you can black hole traffic if you want, or you can make certain subnets only able to send traffic out through a NAT gateway or a managed network device. So even though you might not be an InfoSec person or on the security team, they're going to lean on you heavily to understand how security works in the cloud from a network flows and application flows perspective yep. and get that security implemented properly based off the requirements that they've identified. Yeah. And I would say even as you get into the cloud and you, you know, not to sound buzzwordy, but as you go down this cloud native path and you start to work with all of the different services inside of the cloud, things get uh, vastly more complex from a network security perspective. So, you know, I, I'm, I wouldn't be me if I didn't bring it up, but let's take Kubernetes as an example. You have the Kubernetes network itself or where the clusters are running, right? And then inside you have that virtualized network where your pods are running, where your services are running, et cetera. So now you have to secure two different layers and they're all flat by default, you know, just like any other network, it's a flat network. So you have to go in and you have to say, okay, I need network policies. Okay. Now I need to think about this CNI, or I need to think about this service mesh. So I, I'd actually say, you know, if taking on-prem networking versus trying to get networks secure inside of the cloud, uh, depending on which services you're using in the cloud, it's vastly different and a little bit harder. It's different because you're stitching together services that have been distributed, virtualized, abstracted in some way. If you're a network right. engineer who's used to thinking about things in terms of physical boxes, I'm going to stick a firewall here and bottleneck traffic through it so that it is inspected. That's not what's happening anymore. It's 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 more akin to like like when VMware NSX came out and it was a distributed firewall. You could punch it into virtual switches in different parts of the infrastructure wherever you needed it, run a centralized policy and send it out and uh, that feeling, if that was revolutionary to you at the time, it's that plus uh, now even more. And, 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 and maybe Kubernetes is the ultimate example of what that architecture looks like these days, Michael. But, but yeah, vastly more complicated. And then you've got all these uh, choke points that you can put anywhere you need to do policy enforcement. And so the way you have to think about security and the network flows and so on is uh, is pretty different from the old school on-prem model. Uh, and that carries over into SaaS services as well, because now you can do things like, I've got my software-defined WAN, or now it's a SASE service that's got uh, security layered in. And you can pick and choose which flows are going to be sent off to a third-party security service like Zscaler, let's say, to get inspected along the way. And so how you're doing that is a is a, a different animal. And uh, go back to your point very early on, Ned, I don't see how you cannot have security as part and parcel of what you're studying if you're getting into cloud networking. Two important things I want to raise. And one is that there's a whole other layer of security you have to be mindful of in your networking, and that's the control plane. So now that you're working in the cloud, everything is configurable via the API, right? However you choose to consume that API, whether it's through the console, in a browser, at the command line, et cetera. So you have to make sure that you've secured the permissions, the, or the IAM roles and permissions for each of your network components so someone can't just march in and make adjustments, add another network interface, uh, turn off, you know, filtering or logging for a particular item. Like, so 
you now not only have to deal with the security of your network, you have to deal with the security of the control plane for your network. Not that you didn't have to before, but it was a little bit simpler because like the console for your firewall was probably on an internal managed network that only you and a handful of other people could get to, or you actually had to physically walk up and like plug in a console cable, right? Yeah, and let's not forget the defaults out of the box, right? So so again, talking about Kubernetes, when you use AKS, EKS, GKE, out of the box, if you just click next, 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 guess what? Your control plane is sitting publicly. Yep. <laughs> so like, you know, so it's, it's not only do we have to configure, it's that we now also must reconfigure. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you guys are saying a control plane and, and, you know, network engineering purists would say, wait a minute, they're talking about the management plane. Cause I'm that's sorry. really what you're getting at. You're getting at the, the, the point of where you actually manage this, uh, all of this, these security implements via API, you need to be securing as well. And, and the defaults are open, not closed. Right. You might not be responsible for some portions of that, but you need to be at least aware of what actions are available for some of the networking stuff you're deploying and who needs what level of permissions on those things to get their work accomplished, especially if you're working with application developers that want to use cloud native services in any of the major public clouds. They might need some access to your network resources, but they certainly don't need the you know God mode or modify everything level of access, which is sometimes the default. The other component I wanted to bring up is some of the really weird services that exist in the cloud that are also somewhat related to security, stuff like private link. Mm. And this is the idea where you can take a network interface, create it in your VPC or your VNet, and then have it hook into one of the software as a service or platform as a service offerings through the cloud. And now all of your traffic that's destined for your little segment of that platform yeah. goes through that private link. So again, it's you have to understand how it advertises itself via DNS, how it addresses itself within your subnet, the network security group rules that you have to apply to it for it to function properly, and you have to know it exists in the first place to suggest it. <laughs> oh, I love that stuff. The uh, things like private link are analogous to what we would have done back in the day, segmenting, like uh, building up VMware, where you gave everybody dedicated interface, here's your vMotion interface, and here's your, you know, et cetera, you build all that stuff out, you got to build out the routing and the addressing and the VLANs that it's just so you can get crazy and go with security if you want, or building out other isolated networks that would have very specific functions. Um, and those happen, uh, you, a private link functionality can happen even on just simple VPS offerings like Vulture. I'm a, a fan of Vulture. I've got a bunch of VPSs running in there. They'll sell me, be happy to sell me a private link where I can connect multiple instances, VPSs and connect them together on a private link on the back end for uh, mm -hmm. whatever reason. So it's I just find it funny that you call it weird. I mean, weird in the sense that it's an unusual construct with unusual parameters. Yes, and in the sense that it, is something that just didn't exist like three years ago in yeah, the okay. cloud yeah. programs. And then they're like, oh, we have this new thing that you need to know everything about now. And it <laughs> also, we had to build it using our existing tooling and concepts. So sometimes the implementation is a little funky. <laughs> hmm. All right, guys. So here's another kind of important one. Should I learn one cloud vendor's networking stack? You know, like just start with AWS and just learn that one and you're fine. Is that good enough? Or should I also learn 
other people's networking stacks? Or if, if I know AWS, do I kind of know Azure and Google Cloud? I would say so. Uh, in my opinion, there, you know, all the service names may be slightly different. The way that it's implemented may be slightly different. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, you're you're peeling back the same onion, more or less. You may just have to figure out, understand, hey, here's how firewalls, uh, how firewall rules work in Azure. And then when you go to AWS, they're your security groups. So it's like, you know, there's going to be differences in terms of the naming and where you're going to find that information. But I would say, yeah, like if you know one, you're going to be able to figure out the other one without having to go like super crazy in depth. Yeah, that, that's been my experience as well. I got my start on AWS and then started doing some Azure work. And I found a lot of the concepts transferred. Microsoft being Microsoft, they try to do a lot of stuff for you in the background. Whereas AWS is like, no, go build it yourself. Here's here's an erector set. Go put it together. You know, And Microsoft is a little bit more like, oh, we're going to give you a pre-assembled, pre-fabricated thing that you could swap some stuff out on. Uh, Google was closer to the AWS approach. But again, all the concepts I'd learned from Azure and AWS transferred for the most part, and the networking fundamentals transferred across all of them. So it was really just like you said, learn the new vocabulary, learn where things are a little bit different. So you have to take take that into account. And, you know, you'll you'll be all right. So learn one first and then you can spread out would be my advice. Does it matter which one? I mean, I would have said a year no. ago or more AWS start there. Everybody's in AWS. That's the safe bet. And now I don't know anymore. Azure's made up so much ground. Um, it feels like you could start there if that if your org was a Microsoft shop. Just kind of pick the org you're in and what makes the most sense based on what your business is you're using. Okay, Ray, for my hot take. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> don't start with Google. Don't start with Google. Okay. Don't start with Google. Start with AWS or Azure. Right now, they are neck and neck in terms of market share. If you know your company is using one or the other, learn that one. But if you're just in a vacuum and you're not sure what your next job is going to be or where you're going to land next, Azure or AWS are your two best bets. They have the largest market share by far. Uh, Google trails them by a significant margin. So I would want to go with one of those two first. And then if I happen to land somewhere that's a big Google Cloud shop, fine. I can transfer that knowledge. But I'll be a step ahead if I've gone with Azure or AWS, I think. Yeah, I would say, in my opinion, because AWS is the hardest one to kind of get an understanding of, I always tell people to start with AWS simply because if you start with AWS and then you go to Azure, it's going to feel a lot better than if you go from Azure to AWS. (laughs) It it is a much steeper learning curve with AWS than it is with Azure. So... If you want that steep learning curve, if you're the kind of person that really enjoys the challenge, um, AWS networking, start with that. If you'd like to ease into things a little bit more, have someone holding your hand a little bit, uh, then yes, I would go with Azure in that case. Yeah. Michael, from a Kubernetes perspective, is there anything anything like a networking specialty? I, I worked through some uh, certified Kubernetes administrator course material a while back. And there was a big section on networking, you know, where you, you park and start working through how packets flow through Kubernetes cluster. Um, but it wasn't a specialty. It was just part of the CKA course. Yep. Yeah. So the CKA is going to be the closest that you're going to get there. 
there's a big, big portion of networking on there. And then if you want to take it a little bit further, you know, you can go for the CKS or the Certified Kubernetes Security Administrator. And, you know, there's a little bit on there as well. But yeah, that's that's going to be your best bets. Uh, it appears that they are starting to do more specialties. So for example, the uh, they have the CKS for security and then they're doing a beginner level security one, the KCSA. And that, that one's, I think, in beta right now. So it looks like they are definitely working towards more of a specialty route. But yeah, if if you want to learn Kubernetes networking inside and out, and if you want to bang your head against the wall a couple of times, go take a look at the CK and you should be pretty good there. Now, one thing we haven't mentioned, because we've been talking about the big three, is that there are a number of third-party networking solutions, some of whom have popped through the Day 2 Cloud show as sponsors along the way. Uh, yeah. They're multi-cloud uh, networking solutions that, that are out there, like uh, Alkira and Prosimo and, uh, oh, um, who am I thinking? Aviatrix is another one that pops to mind. And there's some other ones in this space as well. Uh, I would point out that those are different animals. Those are networking control planes that are meant to somewhat abstract the big threes networking you know, over the top. And so if you're, if you're building a multi-cloud network and you're looking for a tool to make your life easier, you might pick one of those solutions. Um, they have a lot of different uh, advantages and different approaches that they take to delivering multi-cloud networking for you. Uh, oftentimes there's an SD-WAN or SASE component tied in there. Um, there may be, uh, well, there may be their own training. Let's put it that way. Th their own training, what they're doing, like I, like Aviatrix is big on this. I think they've got a bunch of their own training material that you can work through to become a certified Aviatrix, whatever their thing is. Um, but that's not cloud networking like we're talking about it, where you're dealing directly with the big three, with their constructs and their interfaces and the way they want you to build things that would be again a third-party solution that i'm not saying you wouldn't be interested in that you very well might be depending on what your company is buying and what you're interested in uh, learning those tools deeply and getting certified on it but don't confuse what those tools are doing with what learning networking specific to the big three and their cloud native constructs are all about i think there's uh i would look at that as an add-on you know AWS and you know Azure, maybe you got certified in those things. And now you're moving to this multi-cloud networking solution with Aviatrix, let's say. And so you decide to go down their certification route and add that to the portfolio. I wouldn't start there. I would add that uh, as something you do later on would be my my take. Now, maybe someone who's worked on some of the training programs for these third parties I'm mentioning are going, Banks, you're getting it all wrong. Okay, okay, okay. You know how to get a hold of me. Get a hold of me and we'll talk about that. I don't mean to dismiss it as unimportant because I think it is important, but business-driven. Uh, you need to have an organization that is utilizing those tools. Um, okay. Um, another questionnaire I have for you two guys that are big into this world is the whole infrastructure as code thing. If I'm learning cloud networking, I'm, it is all about infrastructure as code by and large. If I'm coming from that old school networking perspective, I've been building stuff by hand at the CLI and by gosh, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I've got to get a handle on infrastructure as code. Do I not? I would say so. Yeah, you should definitely be, and and we're kind of seeing this even in the Cisco world, right? You know, the DevNet, there's a lot of like developer focused networking stuff coming out more and more. So yeah, I, I would definitely say that the the whole idea of automation and thinking about infrastructure as code or thinking about utilizing something like Python definitely makes sense. 
not saying that you have to go build the next Instagram, you know, you don't have to be a principal developer, but you should understand it at that, you know, theoretical level or not, not even the, that's, that's not the right verbiage, but you should definitely understand it at like the scripting and the automation level. And I, I would also say that, you know, a lot of, you know, network engineers just, you know, uh, like the, the, the OG network engineers, a lot of them would also use bash as well. So, you know, yeah. there is, there's a fair amount of automation that's already known. It's really just, uh, thinking about it, like from a different language perspective. Well, it depends on how you define automation, I guess. I right. mean, uh, you know, scripting some things and like, like you mentioned Python, Michael, I don't know that I'd want to start with that. If I'm dealing with cloud, wouldn't I want to start with cloud formation or Terraform, something like that? I would actually I push back and say, if you're a Python person, you already know how to use Python. Mm -hmm. uh, you could be perfectly happy using some of the libraries that are available for the public clouds to do your infrastructure as code as opposed to learning a domain-specific language like Terraform or like CloudFormation. It might actually be easier for you to make the transition. You're not leaving the familiar language you know. You're just adding a new library, and you're going to need to understand what it's actually doing, right? Mm -hmm. So you still need that fundamental understanding of whatever cloud you're deploying to, but you're not now layering, hey, learn this whole other language and process on top of it. I guess I'm saying if I including infrastructure as code here. I guess I wouldn't say it's a requirement as such to learn cloud networking, but that to function effectively in your organization, I'm going to assume that your org is doing infrastructure as code in, on mm -hmm. some level and to fit in with the rest of the scheme and how things are being provisioned in the cloud, you probably want to fit into that world. And in my mind, that's where you, instead of you know clicky clicky through the AWS interface or I know there's an AWS CLI as well and so on, but rather than doing things the way you did, you, this would be to me, especially if you're new to it, an opportunity to learn uh, modern infrastructure provisioning. Uh, let's put it that way. Yeah, I would think that if we're thinking about things from like a probability versus possibility perspective, yeah, going with something like Terraform in today's world makes sense. But then there's also the one-off where, you know, I have clients that instead of using Terraform, they want to use Pulumi and write in Python or write in Go because the engineers that are managing their cloud environment, that's what they're comfortable with. So they don't want to go and learn Terraform. They want to use what they're ultimately comfortable with. But again, you know, that's that's the that's the probability versus possibility. You're going to you're going to be probably safer if you go Terraform versus mm. if you go, you know, a, a CDK or a cloud development kit route. Artisanal, hand handcrafted. Yes, it just uh, you. <laughs> well, let's close off this conversation by talking through some of the certs that are available here. Uh, let me give you a quick summary as I was reviewing all the blueprints and the learning paths for the cert networking certifications that the big three clouds offer. Uh, there, I can think I can kind of summarize it this way. And Michael and Ned, you guys, you know, check me here if I'm missing something important. I'm going to walk through these quick. You know, one thing are just the basics, you know, boring stuff that you got to have, IP addressing and name resolution. Those things are key. Name resolution is especially key because of service discovery. That's a big function that you might not think of coming from old school networking where you know what DNS is and it matters, but it didn't really affect your networking as such all that much. Um, name resolution becomes more interesting and more important in the cloud uh, for that service discovery aspect. Okay, so that's one thing, just the, the basics. Another is uh, cloud native networking constructs, uh, things like VPCs and gateways and load balancers and firewalls and WAFs, web application firewalls, uh, things like this that the different clouds offer in different capacities 
that are the building blocks of your architecture, things that you are going to be stitching together in some way for traffic to flow through that application that's being stood up in the cloud. That's a different way of thinking about things, but something that you absolutely are going to need to understand and understand how to put them together. Uh, You'll be looking at architecture plans that explain how to stitch together multiple VPCs to accomplish this particular kind of security paradigm, for instance. You're going to learn that stuff. Another aspect then is connecting off-premises. So you've got the cloud up there, but you've probably got some on-prem data center that you want to stitch up to it or other premises that might need direct connectivity to the cloud or secure connectivity to the cloud, something like that. So now we're talking about VPNs, direct connect circuits. Now you're going to get into routing, perhaps. You're going to get into uh, BGP, Border Gateway Protocol. And I even saw in the AWS blueprint, they think, yeah, MPLS, VPLS, those are architectures that they can support, which I, which is a little bit advanced, and I was surprised they offer that. But, uh, but yeah, that's uh, something they want you to know as well for that connectivity. Um, another aspect that showed up in all of these blueprints was, was architecture and design. So you've got some specific business problem, some application scenario that you're standing things up. If you remember, like, two and three tier applications, or you remember hub and spoke architectures, or you remember anything like that from uh, the days of your networking fundamental training as a network engineer back in the day, it's kind of that. Here's some standard ways that you're gonna stitch all of these networking components together and uh, and build out your cloud network. And they're gonna want you to understand specific architectures and the problems that they solve and why you wanna do it this way and not some other way. And then uh, the last thing that I noticed was pretty universally, and it was always just like a one sentence mention, monitoring. Like, yeah, I guess you can monitor it, fine. Yeah, we'll show you how to monitor it, okay. Which is always supposed to be out because I love monitoring and observability is like one of my favorite things. And it always seemed like an afterthought uh, in these these learning blueprints for the cloud networking certs. But that uh, that does come up and it is something that they expect you to know. How'd I do, Michael and Ned? Am I uh, a good high level summary? Yeah. I would say definitely pretty spot on. The one thing that I haven't seen pop up lately or or yet, perhaps I'm wrong here, uh, but I would assume that would is going to start to come up later on is the whole idea of uh, connecting different clouds. So like this whole multi-cloud approach, mm-hmm. it's definitely becoming something like I'm getting asked more about it now this year than I did last year from clients. You know, last year it was like, nobody cared this year. Clients are like, hey, can we make it in an agnostic way that we can, you know, send data to this cloud or that cloud, et cetera. So I'd imagine at some point relatively soon, it'll start coming up on the certifications. So that's where you need a, you need an extra, (laughs) you need an economics uh, specialty. So you can talk about egress charges in gross detail. Yeah. Uh, I, I really don't think you'll ever see on an AWS exam acknowledgement of another cloud. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) <laughs> I can't speak to the Azure and, and the Google ones because they seem to be at least willing to acknowledge that other clouds exist. Uh, and they'll certainly walk you through the details of how to configure their version of MPLS or their version of uh, site-to-site VPN, but they're not going to show you how to configure the corresponding side for the other cloud. That's something you're going to have to go a little outside of a particular vendor to to do. And maybe one of those... Um, third-party certifications, Ethan, that you mentioned, or the third-party yeah. vendors, yeah. they're exactly. going to get into that. They're going to talk about that type of experience where you are stitching multiple clouds together and they're trying to sell you their products. So they're happy to talk about all these different clouds that exist and how they can connect them all up for you. 
connect them all sense. up for you and, and make it easy for uh, for you to not have to care about the networking primitives that are unique to each uh, environment because they'll just deal with it uh, for you. You deal with their control plane. So, yeah. Right up until you do have to care. Right up until you do have to care. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay, so let's walk through uh, uh, just a quick overview of the, the big three's networking specialties. I found three of them. Uh, Ned, the AWS Certified Advanced Networking Specialty was one that you you have some familiarity with. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, I mean, so like I said, I built a Terra, uh, not Terraform, a Pluralsight course. Jeez, you can tell what I have on my brain right now. Uh, I built a whole Pluralsight course around preparing you for the Advanced Networking Specialty exam. And it covers all the things that you mentioned previously, like all the different constructs that exist inside of AWS, some specifics around configuring public versus private subnets, setting up proper security groups, doing things like setting up DHCP, which you might not think about, but hey, maybe you need to set some special DHCP options. Where would you even do that? And mm. what does it mean to enable different kinds of DNS resolution inside of VPC? And then it does expand out to how to interconnect multiple networks inside AWS, how to interconnect regions and take advantage of their most expensive uh, options, stuff like the transit gateway, or if you want to do uh, a direct link down to, uh, you know, one of your on-premises environments, uh, you can do that too. What does that look like? How do you build more of a, a mesh style, large area uh, WAN deployment using all the AWS primitives? Now, you mentioned uh, the most expensive option kind of tongue-in-cheek in passing there. Do they uh, highlight that some options and design choices are more costly than others? They make very vague mention of it. So you are not required to understand the pricing model behind any of the networking choices you're making. By the certification, you should understand the pricing model behind mm -hmm. it because when you actually do this in the real world, that's going to become a concern quite quickly. And you're like, oh, we need eight direct links going into this gateway. And they're like, yeah, that's going to be um, $40,000 a month. <laughs> you can do a little cheaper? Yeah. Like <laughs> 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 to say to VPNs, it is. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't include that information. It's really more the how um, and somewhat of the why, but not the cost is usually not a consideration in the design. Yeah. Okay. Now, I noticed that this exam has no prerequisites. You can nope. uh, just register and go take this thing. 65 questions, $300. Uh, they give you uh, almost three hours to take it. Multiple choice, multiple response, sort of a exam. Um, but as I looked at that course material, the as you mentioned it before, Ned, they kind of expect you to know stuff already about AWS. I would not, looking at that blueprint to me, is like, there's no way I'm just going to start going through that course material, take that test cold. I just, I don't know enough AWS no. stuff. And so... I started looking back through well, what other AWS certs actually teach some networking. And I found in the Certified Cloud Practitioner, which is the very, very basic entry level one, also the Solutions Architect Associate and the Solutions Architect Professional both have networking as part of their blueprint. So if you want to ease into the networking specialty, I kind of think that's what AWS assumes you've done already is you've walked through the certification path on those levels. And now you're specializing because you wanted to go deeper down the rabbit hole of networking. Or at least have that level of experience with AWS, even if you haven't taken the other certifications. So that's why it's not a requirement, but it's heavily implied that you'll have an associate level certification or that level of knowledge of AWS before you try to sit this specialty exam. 
Yeah, the specialty exam, again, some of the items on there, like getting into MPLS and VPLS architectures, I'm like, geez, I would not want to go into that cold. You know, you'd, <laughs> boy, you'd want to really understand a lot of background material to understand how they're applying those architectures to their network connectivity. Yeah. Well, let's move from there to Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft offers the Microsoft Certified Azure Network Engineer Associate Exam AZ700. Um, and that's another one. I didn't see any prerequisites. You can just rock up and take it. It looked a little gentler than AWS, I guess. Um, either you guys have much experience with that one or know anything about it? I personally have not taken this one. Mm -hmm. uh, I have not taken it, but I did look through the requirements for it. And I would say if you have the knowledge from their associate certification, which is the Azure Admin Associate AZ-104, that's a really good start. And then if you have sound network principles on top of that, you could probably sit this exam fairly easily. Uh, as Michael kind of said, the AWS is the hardest <laughs> networking to learn and mm -hmm. Azure is fundamentally easier to, to understand in Grok. So I don't think you'd have to do as much preparation to sit the, the AZ-700 exam. I couldn't find as many um, specifics about what the exam entailed other than cost. As I was clicking around, I found that it cost 165 bucks uh, to sit AZ-700. Again, I didn't see any prerequisites, but I don't know how many questions and how much time they give you. I don't know if it's, I, maybe I just missed it and it's out there somewhere, but. It was in one of the descriptions that I looked through and I, of course, did not write it down, but it's fairly the same. It's all multiple choice or multiple response. You're not doing any practical work. It's just, you know, look at this scenario or look at this question and select the appropriate response for it. Okay. You know, I don't know if they still have it or not. I'm just kind of looking through it right now myself. I remember with a lot of the AWS exams and even a lot of the Azure exams, it would say on there, like, you should have a minimum of one year yeah. working in this environment or something like that. And and I'm not seeing that in this one. I'm, I'm quickly looking through it. I could be missing it. But I think that's also something else to definitely keep in mind for everybody that's thinking about getting the certifications. You know, you can just, I, I know that there's a ton of people that go into certifications cold turkey and just kind of go do it without the... Um, the, uh, the 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 job experience, but on the flip side, if you have the job experience, it's actually what they recommend. You know, like they're recommending you to work X amount of years, whether whether it's six months or two years or whatever, in a specific role to be comfortable to take the certification. Yeah, I, I think that goes back to trying. They they want that certification to be somewhat meaningful, and if you're just certified on paper but you've never had any hands on. It is possible with the right study materials and some lab work to pass the exam. But if you have no practical experience, it's, you, you will struggle at a client site or for your business to understand how to apply those things necessarily. That can be, uh, that can be a lot tougher. And I, I assume that that's what they're, what they're getting at. Not that um, you have to have been exposed to AWS for two years before you could possibly consider taking this specialty. <laughs> I don't think it's that so much as the result that they hope that the person who takes that specialty has. They've got someone with some experience behind them. They've, they've seen some stuff and now they got uh -huh. the networking specialty and I think it's really where they want to go. All right, one yeah. more uh, certification to talk about. GCP, Google Cloud, uh, what is it? Google Cloud Platform? I think it's the third. Anyway, GCP, yeah. Professional Cloud Network Engineer. And uh, they've got their blueprints here. And by the way, the blueprints and some links to all this stuff will all be in the show notes at packetbushers.net or day2cloud.io, uh, where we publish these podcasts if you just want to click through. But I mean, does anyone read show notes? I don't know. It's very easy to Google all this stuff and just get right into it. But just so you know, it's, we've collected them for your convenience if you care to visit Aww. the show notes. 
But GCP, Professional Cloud Network Engineer, this looked, again, very similar in blueprints and topics to uh, the AWS and Azure certs that we, we just mentioned. Uh, you guys agree with me? It's almost like AWS came up with the specialty cert and everyone else is like, huh, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing that? No prereqs? Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Same thing. No prereqs. You can just rock on up and take it, and uh, and they'll be happy to take your money. Well, the testing center will be happy to take your money and give you a shot at passing the GCP Professional Cloud Network Engineer certification. Mm -hmm. This one's two hundred dollars, fifty to sixty multiple choice and multi-select questions. They give you two hours. You know, go forth and conquer kind of thing. Now, I did want to follow up on one point on this exam, Ned, which was earlier in the podcast. You said if you're going to pick one, don't start with Google Cloud. Yep. Was that merely because of market share and stuff, or was it because uh, also because of material and their approach to networking? Was that different enough that you don't recommend starting there? Oh, no, no. That's purely market share. So just okay. getting the bang for your buck. You're probably going to go farther with the training and certification one of the other clouds. There was this sort of feeling in the zeitgeist for a while that Google Cloud was growing. And if you happen to get one of those certifications, you could get a job easier because you know, people are looking for anyone certified in Google Cloud. I don't think that really panned out after a year or two. And lots of folks are content to just stick with Azure and AWS for their cloud needs. Hmm. Michael, uh, GCP came, uh, or um, when I think of Google, I think of Kubernetes. You know, Kubernetes came yeah. from Google at some point. Is there any tie-in here with uh, Google Cloud networking Kates at all? No, no nothing that I've seen. Um, it, it From what I'm seeing right now, it looks like there is some tie-in in terms of running GKE for some of the labs. So like if you click on, there's one uh, called Create and Manage Cloud Resources under the networking piece. And there's some labs here that go into it. And it does have a mention of GKE, but I haven't personally seen anybody talking about Kubernetes being specifically on uh, one of the networking certifications in GCP. It looks like it's in the labs, but I'm not seeing it as something like you have to know how to troubleshoot Kubernetes, for example, to uh, have the ability to get the cloud network engineer certification. Uh, I will say, looking at these certifications, uh, 65, 60 -ish questions, let's say, it's not a lot of questions, and there's a lot of material there, so it'd be pretty easy to come up with a massive data set of, of possible questions for exams like this. So I would think there'd be a lot of studying you'd need to do, a lot of lab work you'd need to do, a um, lot of um, just spending time hands-on, standing up and tearing down the different architectures that you want to know and understand the capabilities of each and everything. Because, man, you don't know what you're going to get with that small of a selection. It's not like you can say, ah, I'm just going to focus on these three things and skip this other stuff. Right. I, that's not the way these small question exams tend to work uh, in my experience. You know, you're going to get something of everything. And you just don't know what it's going to be. It could be some esoteric detail that uh, <laughs> that they want to test you on, some bizarre. And the, the questions are so often structured to make you really think where you can like, it, it's crap. I can eliminate two of the four choices. And now it's between these two. What's the keyword in the question that makes me think I, I got the, oh, this is what they want me to say. Okay. You know, that kind of stuff. I would imagine these exams are pretty challenging. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I'm looking at the network engineer learning path right now for GCP, and it 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 actually looks very clean, in my opinion, in terms of the UI, in terms of uh, giving the full explanation. Like you have this start lab button, and you could go through your account or just do the lab. Uh -huh. 
there, there's these quests here. I don't know what the difference is between a quest and a lab, but it tells you, you know, uh, how many credits you'll have to use in your GCP account, the amount, and then it goes through. Oh, I guess a quest is a plethora of labs. From what I I'd can forgotten about. I'm glad you brought all this up, Michael, because that is one thing that stuck out to me that was different from AWS and Microsoft certified. The AWS and Microsoft certified stuff, they'll tell you courses in different ways that you can get a hold of all the training material to mm -hmm. pass this exam. Google's like, click through here and you can learn it. We have you know websites that are dedicated to helping you learn it. There, there are, I don't know if they were giving away all the training material that you'd need or exactly, but they just looked like they were, they were trying to really make it easy for you to learn this material so you could get through the exam. Yeah, it looks pretty clean from what I can see, to be honest. I might just go through it just just for fun, just to kind of see what it's like. Hmm. Microsoft has a full self-paced learning uh, path that you can go through for the their network specialty certification as well. So hmm. similar in nature to what Google's doing. Uh, I can't speak to AWS, but I know they'd been working on developing their internal training platform more rather than relying on external instructors. So, you know, your mileage may vary depending on which certification you're going for. Uh, one other thing I do want to point out, you know, I know we're, we're running a little long-winded, three podcasters on one show, imagine that. Um, <laughs> one thing I want to mention is a certification that's not specific to any of the clouds. But I think if you're coming from a background that is not networking, you might want to go and sit the CCNA. Mm. Maybe the Network Plus, but really the one I've experienced with is the CCNA. Because yes, it's going to teach you some Cisco-specific stuff, but it's also going to teach you some networking fundamentals that are useful no matter what cloud you're working in. I will just caution, that is a robust certification. Even though it's an associate level, there is yes. a lot of information that they want you to go through and study. But to speak mm -hmm. to your point, Ned, I completely agree. I mean, you need networking fundamentals that's about the best thing going, even though it is Cisco specific on some level, they are teaching you uh, globally applicable networking fundamentals as well. You're going to learn all kinds of key stuff that uh, you use throughout your IT career if you're coming into this networking thing cold, for sure. Yeah, it was huge for me when I was early on in my career, just understanding how networking actually works versus the magic pixie dust that I thought it was using. I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> and there's so much training material that's at the CCNA level out there. I mean, you can go on Udemy and pick up a CCNA course that's solid for really short money, like less than a hundred bucks, but you mm -hmm. will be into hours and hours and hours of study to prep for that thing. It, it is, it, it, it's a beastly amount of information just so you're, just so you know what you're getting into. If you're thinking about it, it's for reals. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, a lot of the big networking folks out there have free courses on it as well. Like um, uh, Keith, Keith Barker. Yep. He, I think he always has stuff on his YouTube around like free CCNA courses and stuff like that. So there's like a plethora of information out there. Yeah, David Bombal is another one. Lots yep. and lots and lots of information. Much of it free coming from David. And uh, if you if you pay some money for one of his courses, you would not be disappointed. He's an excellent instructor. And, and it's we, there's a lot of people in this space that are very good, honestly. Yeah. We'd be remiss to try to name them all because we're going to miss somebody. <laughs> well, guys, as Ned said a minute ago, we are going a little long. Three podcasters on the mic. Imagine that. We went a little long today. But uh, real quick, let's uh, conclude the roundtable just going around, letting people know where they can get a hold of us. Michael, starting with you. Sure. Yeah. So you could find me on LinkedIn. It's probably my biggest platform right now. 
uh, Twitter still a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of floating around around there to see what's going to happen over there. But if you'd like to get in contact with me, uh, definitely LinkedIn is the best place. And Ned, uh, I know you and I are on this podcast all the time, but we don't talk about ourselves too much. How do you like people to get a hold of you these days? About that, uh, I'm going to mirror what Michael said. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, Twitter is Twitter, um, but LinkedIn is where I've been putting more of my stuff or more of my effort into recently, because that seems to be where the more interesting interactions happen, or at least the more civil ones. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> look for me on there, or. You know, you can always go to my website, nedinthecloud.com and find all the other things. And I'm Ethan Banks. I am occasionally on Twitter at EC Banks. I have a, a large following there, even though I don't tweet all that much anymore. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I am finding LinkedIn is where all of the interesting technology discussions are happening, nice threaded conversations, and uh, a lot of good articles getting percolated up through the people that I follow on LinkedIn. I really find the quality these days is on uh, LinkedIn as well. It's funny you guys brought that up because we didn't we didn't plan that, but it seems like we've all kind of come to the same conclusions on our own. You can find me pretty easily over there on uh, LinkedIn as well. And I'll connect with you if you're a network engineer, someone in the space, you know, by all means, um, you know, send me a request to be happy to connect with you and uh, and build our networks in that way. And if you made it all the way to the end, you're still listening right now. Hey, virtual high fives, you awesome human. If you have suggestions for future shows, things you'd like Ned and I to talk about or find guests for, we would love to hear your ideas. You can hit us up on Twitter or LinkedIn, apparently, or uh, fill out the request form on day2cloud.io. we got a real simple contact form there for you if you prefer that. By the way, there's more community stuff for you. You do not have to scream into the technology void alone. The Packet Pushers Podcast Network has a free Slack group that is open to Everyone, and I do mean everyone, if you work for a vendor, that's fine. Just no marketing. That's all we ask. But uh, please jump on in and and have a chat with everybody. Packetpushers.net slash Slack, and you can join. Um, what else? Well, how about we just close the podcast there for today? So until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. <laughs>